Tonight's reading is Psalm 28, and it's page 557 in your Red Pew Bible. Psalm 28. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I shall be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbours, but harbour malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back on them what they deserve. Because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Um, Oh, it is so good to be here and that we're going to be able to share the Lord's Supper together. Um, Let's just pray. Father, would you you please open our ears wide um, to whatever it is you want to say to us and would you please close our ears to anything unhelpful I may say. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Psalm 28, a desperate cry from a desperate man who has nowhere else to go. Nothing will take away his despair. What would take away your despair? Not a 10K run, a video, an escape down YouTube rabbit holes, a beer, a massage. He knows that only God can help him. And the man, of course, is King David, a king with a past, murder, adultery, lies, a fractured family. We know he carried the consequences of those sins for the rest of his life. And yet God chose him as his anointed king, a man whose descendants we trace down to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Paul in Acts 13 reminds us, after removing Saul, that was his father, he, God, made David their king. He testified concerning him, David is a man, I have found a man, David, a man after my own heart. David was a man who knew beyond all doubt that without God, without the rock, he was finished. And in Psalm 28, we see King David's 
We're going to do three things we're going to look at. His cry of desperation, a plea for justice, and a song of praise as he moves from despair to praise. So we're going to start with a cry of desperation. But first, let me just uh, remind myself of a little story. I remember a few years back, and yeah, that's, you might be able to see that. Louis and I, Louis, my husband, were walking along a, a high hillside walkway along irrigation channels in Madeira, in places very narrow ledges with rather steep drops. And occasionally that also meant going through some quite narrow, quite dark tunnels. Let's have the next ergo a tunnel. Um, And then there was one time when we were going through a tunnel, it was quite a long one, it was 150 meters, and Louis had gone on ahead with his torch, I was behind, and my torch suddenly failed. And by the time I had stopped faffing around with it and trying to make it work, Louis had gone on round a corner, light of his torch had gone with him. And I started crying out, and he didn't hear me. And he didn't hear me. And it was only a few minutes until eventually I kind of blundered my way out into the light. But it was interesting. It gave me um, a real sense of that fear of being unheard, unheeded, however loudly I call. And the reason he didn't hear me, incidentally, was something to do with echoes and the way the tunnel was built, you know, whatever that was. Um, (laughs) But silence can be a very fearful response to a cry for help. So verse 1, To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. Can you hear me? Are you listening? David cries out and God appears silent. The past year in some has had its challenges and perhaps less obviously some of those challenges has been our sense of entitlement. We live in a city primed for instant gratification, one-hour deliveries, immediate responses to email messages, information to click away. We've had to learn that we cannot always expect to do or to have what we want when we want it. Here is David calling out to God to answer him now. And getting back? Nothing. And again, <clears throat> over many years of working in psychological services, one of the most disturbing experiences I would hear over and over again goes something like this. I feel as if when I'm talking, no one listens. My words simply disappear into a big black hole. I say something in my family and I might as well be invisible. No one listens. No one's there for me. David cries out, I have no one else. How long, O Lord, how long? How long am I going to have to cry before you hear me? In the face of a seemingly unresponsive God, what does David do? I tell you what he does. He perseveres. He goes on praying. There are many reasons why we might fear 
the silence of an unanswered cry. And I wonder why, specifically, David was so desperate to have God hear him. Listen to this. Verse 2, well, end of 1 and 2. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. Okay, now we get it. If God were to remain silent, if he didn't answer, then David was worse than dead, finished, done for. He knows the fate of those who do not know God, who consistently choose to stand against God, the ungodly who die without hope, to whom God is silent. And David knows the slippery slope of sin and despair, and he's not about to go down that path again. So, you know what, this is not a gentle knocking on the door kind of prayer. Um, Excuse me, God, are you there? Um, Could I just trouble you for a moment? Oh, no. This is for David a matter of life or death. Without God, he is nothing. I've actually found this quite challenging. Have you, have we, have I ever, have we ever allowed ourselves to be so desperate before God, to fling ourselves at God's mercy? Or are we so sorted that desperation isn't part of our lives? It's a question I asked myself as I was praying over this psalm. It was a challenge. I wonder if in my confidence of salvation, of life eternal, guaranteed though it is, when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we perhaps, that I take God's grace and his mercy for granted. David was assured of God's presence in his life. He knew God had rescued him. God had called him a man after his own heart. And yet David does not take that for granted. He was king of Israel, anointed by God. And yet... As such, his grasp of God's awesome greatness. He just couldn't imagine a life without God's tangible presence. It was unbearable. And so he prays on. With still no evidence that God's hearing him, David perseveres and he ramps things up a little. Okay, listen to verse 3. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. If you remain silent, says David, it means you're treating me the same as the most evil of men. Yes, David had messed up big time in his life, but he'd come clean. God had restored him completely. And yet David still pleads. Remember, I am one of the good guys. Hear me, help me, remember me. I wonder what you get desperate about. We get desperate about many things. I was watching the rather desperate scenes at Wembley before the UEFA Euro Cup final a few weeks back. Picture it. Oh, perhaps you were there get to the entrance, the queues are long, tickets are being scanned for fakes, you have a bona fide ticket. 
but time is tight. The game's about to start. Listen, listen, you cry out. I have got a genuine ticket. I have got the real deal here. I have got the real deal. I am not one of the fake ones. I have got a real ticket. Just let me in. Look again at verse 3. Don't drag me away with those who speak cordially with their neighbors but harbor malice in their hearts. Again, we have absolutely no idea who he's talking about, what the problem is, but the pressure's on. Do you know what? I'm strangely encouraged by that. David is king. God anointed him. But that doesn't mean he isn't going to face opposition. And the same is true for us. God will anoint, will appoint, will empower, and still we will face trouble. In this world, you will face trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16. And what does David do? He perseveres. He perseveres. And as he perseveres, already we're beginning to see a growing confidence and boldness. And he now cries out with a plea for justice. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done. Bring back on them what they deserve. Wow. And then using a sort of dramatic third person, David continues, because they've no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done, He, God, will tear them down and never build them up again. Wow, that is pretty harsh. Let them have it, lock them up, throw the key away. They deserve it. Job done. Whatever else these men have done, they clearly have no regard for God's law. So David launches into demands for punishment, retribution for the wrongs that we assume may have been done to him, but certainly to God. Doesn't that feel a bit awkward, a bit over the top? But isn't this exactly how we can so easily be? We hear of a brutal murderer receiving a life prison sentence, or an embezzler losing all his fraudulent earnings. And we say, Yeah, they deserve it. Of course they do. Don't we? And yet surely, aren't we meant to turn the other cheek? To love our neighbor? To forgive? Not just once, but 70 times. Seven, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18. Let's just think about this. Firstly, The judgment is God's, not David's. And for David, writing this psalm, it's absolutely logical that God should uphold his holiness and should punish all those, including David in the past, who persistently and willfully stood against him. So what David is doing is simply declaring that God is a holy God, who will not tolerate evil. Secondly, and perhaps more significantly, between David writing that psalm and us, 
spans not just a span of years, but the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The grace of God that we live in, the rights we now have as children of God, able to call him Abba, Father, David could barely imagine. For God sent his one and only Son that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The cross changed everything. And when Jesus cried out shortly before his death, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father did, for a time, a brief moment, turn a deaf ear to those cries. Why? So that forevermore we would know that because of Jesus, we would never again be separated from God the Father. At times, he will still be silent. There will be times of silence in our prayers. I've known it, I'm sure you've known it. We will still wait to hear God speak to us. Sometimes we wait a long, long time. But we do so in the confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Should we pray as David prayed? Yes, we should pray against evil. And as we read in Ephesians 6.12, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities against the rulers of darkness in this world. Do you know the Psalms, the Psalms are amazing. They, they, in my mind, are a particular gift because they say it as it is. What we so often read, as in David's plea for justice, are the uncensored depths of our hearts. The Psalms give us permission to cry out our grief, our fury, our desire for revenge. David has been there. He knows the depths of evil that's possible, and yet is a man whose heart is turned to God. He is, as many have said, a man of contradictions. And in truth, so are we all. Are we not? (laughs) So are we all. And yet we have the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us in the midst of our ranting and raging, in those moments of idle gossip and back-mouthing, that we are called to daily repentance and forgiveness. The cross changed everything. And so we come to the final section of this psalm. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. From despair to praise. As David perseveres in declaring the greatness of God, in upholding his holiness, praise bubbles Did David get a specific answer? Do you know we actually don't know? 
Did his desperate cries to be heard, his plea for justice as he upholds God's holiness, gradually lift him from despair to praise? Yes, it did. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Yes, as David prays into the truth of who God is, so praise rises. And interestingly, as his personal desperation eases, so his concerns move from himself to his people. This is a king coming before the God of heaven and earth on behalf of those entrusted to him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. He is suddenly reclaiming his responsibility as God's anointed one. But you know, we too are called to bring God's blessing on one another, to share our lives with one another, with friends, with neighbors, in our church small groups, to care about each other's concerns enough that we long to bring them before the throne of grace in prayer. And so to conclude, what can we learn? What's the takeaway from this psalm? There are three things. When God appears silent, we persevere. We pray all the more. We cry out our complete dependence, our desperation to be heard by him. Secondly, the Psalms give us permission to pray from the depths of our wayward, contradictory hearts. God's love for us is secure in Jesus. The cross changed everything. And thirdly, as we persevere, declare the truth of who God is, uphold his holiness, then despair turns into praise. Be their shepherd, says David. Carry them, bear them up forever. And so we see in this final prophetic cry of Psalm 28, the shepherd boy who became a king, calling out to God on behalf of his people, And we remember the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. And so in our despair, in our fears, in our joys, and in our needs, we have in Jesus a fortress of salvation. Let me pray. Father, would you please come by your Holy Spirit and cause us to just cry out and declare the wonders of who you are in the privacy of our own times of prayer, in the larger congregation. Lord, give us a heart to cry out the truths of who you are 
uphold your holiness. So that, Lord, when we come to you in despair, those very truths will turn us into praise for who you are. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.